Hello, thank you for visiting the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, feel free to visit our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. And now here is this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey podcasters, this is Adam Russell. I'm the pastor here at the Vineyard and we have a special announcement for you this week. On October the 9th, we will be celebrating 20 years as a church. And to do so, we're going to have one big celebration gathering at Campbellsville University at 10.30 a.m. in the Student Athletic Center. So if you have ever been a part of the Vineyard, uh, we would love to have you here. If this has ever been your home church, if this has ever been where you were spiritually fed and had friends, we would love for you to be a part of this. Even if you live halfway across the country, we'd love for you to be here. So October the 9th. 10.30 a.m., one big celebration at Campbellsville University. We're going to have food trucks following so we can have lunch together. Should be a really great time. I hope you can come. All right, now on to this week's message. All right, hey, uh, if you want to open up your Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is our third and final message in a series that we're calling Listen and Obey. Listen and obey. And uh, by the way, wasn't Andrew good last week? Listen, I'm telling you guys, one day we're just going to give the church to Andrew. How about next Sunday? Yeah, perfect. Great. This is a series called Listen and Obey. And um, the reason that we've called this series Listen and Obey is because uh, it's all about being the sort of people who actually listen to Jesus and do what he says. And, and by the way, if you were to ask me, uh, what does it really mean to be a Christian, like for real? It's really basic. It's just, we listen to Jesus and we do what he says. We listen to Jesus and we do what he says. People for generations have been doing this. Christians all over the world for hundreds and yes, even thousands of years. This is the distinctive marker of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It means that we get the orders for our life from Jesus, and then we actually do what he says. Eureka. Wow. We do what he says. That's what it means. And how do we listen to Jesus? Well, there's a few ways. The first and the most important way to listen to Jesus is just through the Bible. Like, that's the reason we put such an emphasis on the Bible around here. We, we love the Bible here at the Vineyard. Uh, we want to read it. We want to not just read it and know it, but we want to do it. That's the, that's the first and the most basic way to listen to Jesus. And then we also listen to Jesus through prayer. How many of you in the last six months have prayed and felt like, felt like God told you something? And not just told you something like, like not just something that, that was abstract, but told you for something very specific. I want you to go do this. Like you just started having thoughts that, you, that wouldn't normally occur to you to go and do, right? Yeah, that's it. So we listen to Jesus through the scripture. We listen to Jesus through prayer. And then we also listen to Jesus through prophetic insight and revelation. Uh, who here has ever received a prophetic word that changed their life? Anybody? Yeah, about half the room. Yeah, some of you are like, I don't even know what that means. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you real quick. It's one of the gifts of the Spirit. So if you look at what Paul says in, in Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about gifts of prophecy, especially in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And gifts of prophecy are not just preaching. Preaching can be prophetic. But that's not the only thing that is prophetic. There can be this, this, this way in which the Spirit encourages us and even guides and directs us. And sometimes God has something to say to us through someone else that is very strategic and important for our life. 
We have, to, we have to embrace those. And by the way, in order to be a really successful follower of Jesus, you have to embrace all three. And here's the deal. If you embrace just one and forget the other two, you'll ruin your life. You, you can't just grab hold of the Bible and let go of the other two because the Bible's filled with the other two. What kind of person would take the Bible seriously and not take what the Bible says about the other two seriously? And here's the deal. If you just pray and you don't read the Bible, then you'll just become a self, self-deluded iglomaniac because you're just, you're just going to be left over with your own superstitions about how life is. And if you only follow prophetic insight but you never pray and you never read the Bible, then really you're just listening to the inner voice that is yourself. You'll get off track. So you need all three. You need all three. And that's how we listen to Jesus. And that's what the disciples have been doing for thousands of years. In fact, this is what the original disciples did a couple thousand years ago. Maybe you've read the Gospels where Jesus was out walking around. And he comes to like James and John. They were on the boat with their, with their dad. They were fishermen, right? And Jesus says, I want you guys to follow me. And then what did they do? Got out of the boat and they followed him. That's, that's what it means to be a disciple. Not only that, but if you read the book of Acts, the book of Acts is filled over and over with people in the early church who heard something from God and then actually went and did what it said and it changed everything. For instance, two quick examples. One day, a guy named Peter, kind of a, kind of a big deal in the Bible, a guy named Peter was chilling on the on the balcony. Anybody ever, ever, anybody ever chilled on a balcony, like a really nice hotel? You ever been to a really nice hotel that had a pool on the balcony? Whew, man. It's a good way to live. <laughs> anyway, one day Peter was on a balcony and he was praying. He was, he was just chilling, right? And in the middle of this prayer time, Peter gets a vision. He sees this big sheet comes down and there's all these sheet, not sheep, Sheet comes down, there's all these animals on it, and he hears a voice say, get up, peek, kill, and eat, right? And he's like, I'm not eating that stuff because everything that's on that sheet is things that you told us not to eat, God. You know, it's like Old Testament stuff. And God says to Peter, well, don't call unclean what I'm calling clean. You get up and do it. About that time, somebody knocks on the door, and it's some guys from another person's house named Cornelius. And on the inside, in his, in his head and in his heart, Peter hears something say, go with these guys. And he does it. He actually does it. Goes with strangers. He goes to a Roman's house. Peter was a Jew. At that time, Jews and Romans didn't hang out. And he preaches the gospel to them. They get saved and filled with the Spirit. See, that's what Christians do. You listen to God and you actually do what he says. Then another time, there's a guy named Ananias in the book of Acts. Actually, there's two guys in Ananias named Ananias in the book of Acts. One guy is bad and one guy is really good. We'll talk about the good one for a moment because the bad one is just too complicated, <laughs> at least for this Sunday. Anyway, there's a good guy named Ananias, and this is, this is in Acts chapter 9. It says that he's a disciple, which means he's a student of Jesus. He's a learner of Jesus. He's like us. And he hears, he hears something, and he hears the Spirit say to him, hey, you need to go down to this very specific house. There's a guy in there named Saul and I need you to do something for me. And the, and, and the guy Ananias is like, listen, I've heard of Saul. He, he's, a, he's a crazy guy. I'm not going. And the voice says, no, you've got to go, and you've got you've to go give him a message for me. By the way, the guy named Saul was the guy who would later become Paul, but at the time, while he was Saul, he was persecuting the church, right? So the guy named Ananias goes over. Why? Because God told him to. He went over. 
And he finds Saul there and Saul's blind. And he puts his hands on him and he prays for him. The scales fall off of his eyes. He gets his sight back. He tells him about Jesus. And he baptizes him both in water and in the spirit. That's what Christians do. That's what we do. We listen and we obey. So that's why we want to do this series. And I want to read a scripture to you this morning. This is out of James chapter 1. We're going to read a few verses starting in verse 19. James, this is half-brother of Jesus, by the way. This is what he says. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Everybody's got to be quick to listen and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's, that could be a life verse. That's a, it's a verse that actually makes me angry. <laughs> if I'm being honest, right? Yeah, as a person who's given to anger, this verse makes me angry. Anyway, <clears throat> so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word that God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. Look at the verse 22 here in bold. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's a great word. Thank you, Pastor James. Thank you, Pastor James. Yeah, that's what it means to be a Christian. It means to, to hear and to listen to God and then do what it says. Do what he says, rather. Um, and here's what I found when it comes to listening and then actually doing what God says. I found that in order to do this with any consistency, one of the things we have to realize and one of the things we have to wake up to is the, is the fact that God is actually active in, at work in the world. If you think that God is not active, and if you think that God is not active and, and at work in the world, it, it decreases your chances of you listening, and it strongly decreases the chances that you'd actually do what he says. Let me just tell you a couple things about God up front. Number one, God is not floating in the clouds somewhere. And, and he's not withholding all the good stuff for later. Some of us grew up with the idea that heaven was after you die, and that's when all the good stuff is. But Jesus teaches the exact opposite. You can look at it. It's Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. He says, the time is fulfilled, meaning it is right now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning it is right here. Right now and right here. That's the gospel, by the way. It's the idea that all the good stuff that we thought was later is actually here and today. That's, that's the gospel. That's the good news. So it's not a matter of if God is up to something, because he certainly is. The real question is this, what is he up to? And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes this is what I do. Sometimes I assume that God is not present, and sometimes I assume he's not active in the world because my own life is not going the way that I thought it would. Have you ever done this? Have you, ever, have you ever assumed that God was not present and that he wasn't working because everything in my own life really sucks? Have you ever done that, Matt? You can do that. I, I, I've done that. Sometimes you go through really hard things. You're like, wow, if God were present and active in the world, why is it so crummy? 
Why is my life so crummy, right? Yeah, see, here's the thing. God is present and active in the world, even if my life isn't going the way that I thought it was. He's still present and he's still active. And let me just tell you about the activity and the presence of God. Sometimes it is actually hard to see. God has never been one who was fond of shouting. God's not much of a yeller. Now the world is filled with yellers, but God's not much of a screamer. He's not much of a screamer. God is usually the still small voice. And let me just say this. So sometimes it is hard to see. Sometimes it is hard to see the activity and the work of God. But he's not trying to stress us out. And he's not trying to confuse us. He's not always obvious. But he's not trying to bewilder us either. And then you might, ask, you might be asking this question. Well, if he's active and at work, then why isn't he making it a little plainer? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. Uh, Number one, God is always super plain in the scriptures. So whatever is unclear in your own life, God is always super plain in the scriptures. There is something in the scripture that will be plain and clear. There's always something from Jesus that we can obey in the scriptures. Number two, um, the scriptures are always the words that we can have and they're always the words that we need. And then number three, God sometimes chooses a more subtle approach and I think he does this because the subtlety actually causes you and I to look for him. How many of you have ever, heard, have ever considered this? Uh, any fool can listen to the yelling. Right? Any fool can listen to the shouting. But you actually have to want to hear the whisper. Right? So God mostly whispers because in doing so, God mostly uses subtle forms and quiet forms because in doing so, it actually requires that you and I would want to hear him. The world will shout, but God will whisper, and it's the whisper that actually attenuates our heart to want to hear him and to want to know him. I think it's one of the ways he sets us up. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's so that we'll attenuate our lives to him. There's something about this setup that actually requires us to stay connected to him. Otherwise, otherwise, you and I just become cavalier and presumptuous. And I don't ever want to be the kind of person who's cavalier or presumptuous when it comes to God. So, here's the thing, church. God is present and he is active in the world. And this is exactly what James is saying. There has to be some kind of a marriage. There has to be some kind of a hand-holding between listening and and doing. Otherwise, as James says, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. Other translations say, you're deceiving yourself. I want to put a little quote up from the Honorable Reverend Raymond Hollenbach. You might want to screenshot this one. can change your life. The trouble with being deceived is that you don't know it. Isn't that true? The Honorable Reverend Raymond Hollenbach is 100% right. That's the trouble with being deceived. You never know it. You never know it. And that's what James says. He says, if you're the kind of person who listens but doesn't obey, you're fooling yourselves. Or maybe your translation says, if you listen but you don't do what he says, then you're deceived. Now, this is an interesting concept for sure. Here's the reason I find that verse so interesting. It's interesting because apparently hearing God's word and knowing God's word doesn't insulate a person from the possibility of being deceived. 
There are lots of people who can quote Bible passage after Bible passage to you, and they are thoroughly deceived. Deception often dresses up like an angel of light, I believe is in the scripture somewhere. Some of us are thinking, well, hey, wait a minute. I thought God wanted to set us free from deception. And I thought if we knew the truth, the truth would set us free. Yes, that is true. But it gets right down to what we mean by the word knowing. What does it mean to know? Well, it seems to me anyway that the Bible has a different measure for knowledge than many people in our own culture. Oftentimes today we equate knowing or we equate knowledge with that which we can know in an intellectual sense or the kind of knowledge that can get me through a written exam. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We assume that that knowing in the Bible equates to the kind of knowing that we have in our own culture and the knowing that we have in our own culture is mostly connected to intellectual knowledge or the kind of knowledge I need to get through a written exam, right? But the Bible never talks about knowing like that at all. Never, never, never. How many of you guys remember high school chemistry? Brutal, right? Brutal. Flipping high school chemistry. Remember, like, you did the formulas, and you even did, like, a lab or two. And then you took the test, and, and you passed the test. Let's say you took it, and you passed it. And then after you passed the test, you knew chemistry, right? No, no, for real. You know, you, 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 you did the formula, you did the lab, you took the test, and now you know chemistry. Like, this room is filled with chemists. <laughs> yeah, right. Tell you a little story here. A couple years ago, we started making wine. Our family, we, we, we make wine. We have several acres of wine grapes, and we have a winery, and we make, we make wine. Anyway, part of the winemaking process involves a lot of chemistry. And specifically, making wine involves this part of chemistry called titrations. Anybody remember titrations? When we realized, and by we I mean Justin Harden and I, when we realized that we were going to have to calculate titrations, there was a part of us that was like, no problem, we know this. We've had it in high school, right? And by I know it, what I really meant was I passed that test many years ago. But then you get in the lab with actual grape juice, with actual lab equipment, with actual reactive agents, and then suddenly you realize, I don't know anything. So here's what Justin and I did. We called the experts at the University of Kentucky. We watched YouTube videos. Seriously, we watched YouTube videos for calculating titrations for acids and wine grapes. We practiced. We screwed it up. And then finally, he learned it to perfection. Now, now... He knows about titrating acids in grapes, and I know that he knows. Right? That's how it works. See, here's the thing. 
knowledge in the Bible is never just in the head. It's always in the hands. Knowledge in the Bible is always in the hands. This is what the Bible would say about knowledge. The Bible would say, calloused hands know a thing or two. Calloused hands know a thing or two. Here's the thing. It's the same thing for Christians. We don't know the word of God as much as we just listen to the word of God and then put it into action. I'll just tell you a little secret here this morning. I'm actually giving up on knowing the gospel. If I can just frame it like that. I'm trying to unlearn being an expert in the gospel in the way that we classically know it. I don't want to just know it. I want to maintain the idea uh, that I'm a novice. Even in really basic things, I want to maintain the idea that I'm a novice. Because knowing, oftentimes in our culture, assumes supremacy. And I I really don't know anything. I, I want to be a novice because being a novice keeps my ear open. And it keeps my heart humble. So I'll actually do what he says. It, it would be way better to listen than obey than to be someone who knows something. Got to talk about listening and not obeying for just a second. James says that if you listen and you don't obey, he says it's like a man who looks in a mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like. That's what happens if you listen and you don't obey. You immediately Forget what you look like. Now, when James writes this, this would have been at a period in time when there were no photographs, no Snapchat, no Instagram. Couldn't gram it up. Nobody was gramming it up, right? Not only that, but very, very few people. (laughs) Very, very few people. Glenn's getting me off track here. Very, very few people could afford to have a a portrait painted of themselves. Furthermore, very, very few people would have even had a mirror. So most people would have walked around in the early Bible days not really knowing what they looked like, right? And so James says, if you listen to the Word of God and you you don't do what it says, it's it's like coming to a mirror and studying intently what it is that you look like, and then as soon as you walk away, you, you, you just, you forget In our own day, we're inundated with our own faces. It's actually hard for us to imagine forgetting what we look like. We just selfie it up, you know? Just go back through my feed. Oh, yeah, that's me. A million times. But I like what James is saying here. This is what he's saying about the Word of God. He's saying that it shows us who we really are. There's something about the Word of God that shows us who we really are. It's like a man who sees himself in a mirror. That's what God's Word does. It shows us who we really are. Or in this case, it shows us who we could be. I think that's another way to see it. But if we don't do what it says, we forget and then we lose touch with that image. So there's something here about becoming a person who hears and obeys and that these practices end up being formational. You know, you know one of the buzzwords in the church right now? Identity. Everybody wants to talk about identity, right? Yeah, why? Because we're a culture who literally has no clue who we are or what we're doing. 
Where do we get the answer for who we are and what we're doing? It's from listening to God and doing what he says. That's, that's always, always, always how you're really going to find out who you are. Who you are. Listening to God and doing what he says. So many of us, even in this room, we struggle with issues of identity. Uh, we're all really fighting with who we are. There's one thing I know about this group of people, and it's me included. I know that we're like crazy insecure. I know we are. But here's, here's what we have this morning in the book of James. We actually have an invitation to become secure. We have an invitation to become people who are at rest and at peace and who are not competing and who are not living anxious lives and who are not like ruining our lives trying to figure out who we are by doing crazy things that actually make us worse rather than better. It's, it is to become secure and to, to discover who God has made us to be. Let me ask you, question this morning what is the opposite of being deceived what's the opposite of being deceived it's not a trick question by the way being true right what's the opposite of being deceived being true how about this being right not just in a correct sense but being right in a whole sense let's just throw a bible word on it being righteous what does righteous mean? It means, it means being right with God and other people. That's what righteous means. See, the word of God is active and alive. And it includes the Bible, but it's not limited to Scripture. The word, in the biggest sense, is Jesus himself. And God's word, Jesus included, is moving, it's living, and it's working. And because it's working, it has purpose in it. See, here's the thing. God's word never, ever, for one minute, doesn't have purpose in it. God's word is pregnant with purpose. And so if you listen to God's word, you're listening, you're listening to his purposes. And then if you begin to do what he says, then you begin to align your life with the purposes of God. And how many of you understand that you'll never know who you really are and you'll never be secure until you find your purpose? How do you do that? You have to listen to him. You have to listen to him. You have to listen to the person who actually has this thing figured out, who has purpose built into everything he does. God is not the God who is doing things that make no sense. Even if it doesn't make sense to us in the moment, there is purpose packed in every single word he says. He wants to accomplish something. And if you begin to listen to it and do it, you will find some purpose. See, to take up God's word is to take up the purposes of God. In fact, I'd go so far as to say this is why the Bible calls for obedience and doing. Here's what I believe about obedience and doing. I believe that God calls for obedience and he calls for doing. I believe that he calls for this not because there's this whole host of things that are in the world that he doesn't want to do and he just wants to pawn it off on us. Do you follow me here? Let me ask you this. How many of you ever had a rotten boss or a terrible parent? Can I tell you one of the things that rotten bosses and terrible parents all do? They make their employees and they make their kids do things not for their betterment. They make them do things because they have more power and because they're things that they don't want to do. Right? Now this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that your parent is bad and your boss is awful if you don't like doing what they've asked you to do. That's different, right? However, however, 
terrible leaders always do this. Terrible leaders use their position to make people, other people, do things that they don't want to do. And sometimes we take that same, that same action, that same interaction, that same initiation, and then we begin to magnify it back up to God. And we think, well, God's just asking for obedience because he's the strong guy. And there's this bunch of stuff in the world that he doesn't want to do, and he's just pawned it off on us. Right? This whole, like, get people better and saved and whatever. It's like God's not so much interested in it, so he wants us to go do it because it's honestly just stuff he doesn't want to do. Sometimes we do that. But that's the lowest level of leadership, and it's never what God does. Genuine leaders, genuine parents, true people are always inviting others into the task. But when they invite others into the task, it's not because they simply didn't want to do the work. It is an invitation into the task that makes you like me. So when God asks us to obey, it's not him trying to pawn off the work. It is an invitation for us to be like him. No, I'll just, I'm going to brag on one of my kids right now. Um, my oldest son, River, he's a good drummer. I, I, know, I know I'm biased, but it doesn't mean I'm wrong. He's a really good drummer. And can I tell you why River's a really good drummer? Because he's had a really great teacher. And his teacher isn't me. I know how to play the drums. But Matt Nall is an expert. And we put River with Matt. And we basically told River this. You do what he says. And here's what's happened in the last three years. River has become like Matt. That's what obedience does. That's what training, that's what discipline does. It's not for the purpose of shoving off the task that we don't want to do. It's for the purpose of making another person like me. And so when God calls for us to listen and to obey, it's actually an invitation to be like him. So let's just, uh, let's put this into the real world for a minute. When, when Jesus says, love your enemies, When Jesus says, love your enemies, how many of you understand it's not him pawning off the enemy-loving work on us that he doesn't want to do? He's asking us to love his enemies and to love our enemies. Why? Because God loves his enemies. That's why. In fact, if you read Jesus closely at all, he asks us to do all kinds of things. And this is one of the reasons I love Jesus so much. Jesus never asks anyone to do something he hasn't done and isn't doing and won't do again. Jesus on the cross, right? Jesus gets the nails in his hands. And what are the words he speaks to the people who have put him up on the tree? Father, forgive them. See, God loves his enemies. God is, God is always in love with his enemies. And so he asks us to love, our, to love our enemies. Why? So we can be like them. That's why. That's what obedience does. It makes us like them. It's to be the same. And James says that this is the perfect law that sets you free. Maybe your Bible says it's the law of liberty. I like that phrase. It's a great turn of phrase. See, that's what God's word is. It's the law that sets, it's the law that sets us free. And it seems to be a contradiction, right? It seems in some ways to be a contradiction because laws seem to be inhibitors. They don't seem to be freedom, but they actually are freedom. When we begin to listen and to obey God, we're actually beginning to get into the flow of real freedom. Real freedom. We'll do a little thought game here for a moment. Um, uh, imagine a world with, with no rules and no laws whatsoever. 
Now imagine driving in a world where there are no rules and there are no laws. Every... <laughs> Granted, no one in Campbellsville has ever used a blinker, ever. And if you, want, if you want to lose your mind, just go to a four-way stop in Campbellsville and meet other people. Oh, there's no hope. There's no hope. I told Heather one day, I just want a Hummer. This is, when I, if I get really rich, I want, a real, I want a Hummer, I want bulletproof glass, and I want to jack it up, and when we come to four-way stops, I'm not stopping, ever. It's just, you know, because there's no hope. I'm just going to, I mean, I won't run over somebody, but I'll take out a quarter pound, you know, just, yeah. Anyway. But imagine, imagine a world where there are no laws and that there are, you, everybody's just driving the way they want to. Like you get out on the road, everybody just does, you can drive on either, either side, you can go as fast as you want, you can stop wherever you want, and you can just turn wherever you want, you can U-turn, you can do whatever you want. Now, is there more freedom in that world or is there actually less freedom in that world? There's less, actually. Are you going to get anywhere? No. And in fact, if you even try, you're taking your life into your own hands, right? However, however, let's just think about the basic rules and the basic laws that are surrounding driving. Don't those laws actually release a new kind of freedom that allows us to go further and to go faster? That's what James is talking about. It's the law of liberty, the perfect law that sets us free. To obey God actually positions us to go further and to go faster and to go safer and to bring more people along. That's what it does. So here's the thing, church. Nothing, 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 nothing is going to change if you and I just know the word of God right here. It will only change if you and I do the word of God. It will only change. That's it. And here's what I also know about this group. I know that we've heard a ton from God. And I know that we've done some of what he says. But if we'd like to take the next step, it's time for us to completely go all in on doing what he's told us to do. Let's, just, let's do a little thought, another thought experiment here just for a second. Imagine what would happen. Like, forget all the other churches in Campbellsville. Like, not forget them in a bad way, but you know what I'm talking about. Let's, let's just take them out of the equation just for a second. Let's just imagine that, 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 that the, the 400 people who kind of come here on a Sunday morning, let's imagine that the 400 people who come here on a Sunday morning devote themselves to being disciples of Jesus, and we're going to listen, and we're going to obey no matter what. Imagine what would happen in this city if 400 people started taking Jesus all the way seriously and said, no matter what, I'm going to listen to him and do what he says. How long do you think it would take for this town to go bonkers in a good way? See, it wouldn't take long. God is speaking. And here's the thing. He is speaking and he is active. And I think the thing that could turn this church upside down in our city and our region is for people to listen and to obey. And he might not be seeing, he might not even be saying to do, go out and do great and crazy things. So he's probably saying some of that to some of us. But it might just be like, go across and have your neighbor over for dinner and tell them that Jesus loves them. Like sometimes we ignore the word of God because it's so uninspiring. We were hoping for greater things, and God's saying, like, well, just like, why don't you just know the people who are around you a little bit and uh, cook them some food and tell them about me? Or what if you take some people alongside you and you teach them what you've known in me? What, what, if, you teach, what if you teach one person this year how to pray? Is anybody in here teaching anybody how to pray? Anybody in here teaching anybody how to, to read the Bible and to know it? 
I see you. <laughs> I see you in the back. Yeah. No. These are the things that make for great ways of change. Amen? Amen, amen. Hey, if you're on the ministry team this morning, come on up. I think this is what God's inviting us into. All professionals. All right, how about we do this? Um, How about everybody else in the room stand up this morning? We're going to pray here. I'm going to pray just generally for us, but after I'm finished praying, if you need somebody to pray with you, we got teams up here and they want to pray with you. If you're sick, if you need to respond to this message, if you're just having a hard time in life and you need somebody to stand with you, we desperately want to do that. But why don't we do this this morning? Why don't we, um, why don't we just hold our hands out like this? And let's just, let's just pray for a word and then let's pray for the courage to do it. That'd be all right? God, we ask that uh, all over this room right now that you'd speak to us. God, we ask that your word would be alive in our hearts. God, we ask that the Bible would jump off the page and it would, it would just grab hold of our ears and it would grab hold of our hearts. God, we ask that you'd speak to us, that you'd speak to us now, that you'd speak to us this week. God, we ask that you would bring to mind those things that you have spoken to us and that you have said to us. Now, God, we ask for boldness and we ask for courage and we ask for bravery to do the things that you've said to do. To even do them imperfectly. To even do them weakly. I just, I give the church, I give you permission to do things weakly and I give you permission to do things imperfectly and I I give you permission to to walk a path that you don't know where it's going. I I just give you permission to do it in weakness. Like God is not, God is not asking for perfection. He's asking for obedience. And so we're just going to be faithful. So God, we ask for courage even now. We ask this in the name of Jesus who was always doing what he saw the Father doing. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, you come on up. Otherwise, give somebody a high five and a hug. Thank you again for stopping by the podcast at the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening here at the Vineyard, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, peace to you.